Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, everyone. Welcome back to the Dowversified podcast presented by Bond Protocol, where we deep dive into the individuals and technologies that are underpinning DeFi primitives, particularly those that support financial operations and treasury management. And today we're really excited to bring on board a close friend of ours at Bond Protocol. Uh, we were hanging out with him during the conference circuit, Adam, who leads business development at Sega. Um, so Adam, how are you? And you want to give us a quick intro of who you are and some of your background? Yeah, sure. Uh, pleasure, pleasure to be here, Joey. Good to see you again. Um, yeah, I'm, I guess uh, my name's Adam. I've been in the crypto space for what now, six years, seven years since 2017. Uh, and yeah, I lead business development at Sega. Um, I guess my, uh, I guess you want my, my intro story coming into the crypto space. Yeah, absolutely. How'd you get here? How'd you get red pilled? Red pilled. Yeah. Love, lovely, lovely term. Um, in 2017, uh, I guess I was diving into, uh, you know, some, some of the crypto stuff. I, I loved risk. Uh, I loved, I loved the chase and I kind of got drawn down the rabbit hole. Started with tr Chainlink, um, was kind of like my first like entry, um, with, with a few of the Link Marines, uh, back in the day. But, uh, yeah, I guess that kind of opened me up into learning about smart contracts um, and how it all works and, and the transparency and um, everything about it, um, you know, uh, from non-censorship resistant um, contracts and everything about DeFi. I kind of dived pretty deep, uh, then joined a couple of friends as one of the founding members of TracerDAO, uh, where we did perpetual swaps and perpetual pools, which is like a tokenized leverage uh, product. Uh, that kind of merged with Mycelium. Uh, we had a couple of different areas there, but I was predominantly on the Tracer DAO project. Um, yeah, and we had, I think, uh, I mean, we had a, we had a couple of couple of members in Tracer, a couple of members in Adventure Arm, a couple of members on the Chainlink node that we ran uh, since 2019, and um, yeah, moved on from there last year. Um, in about August last year, I found Sega. Uh, moved to Sega and it's yeah, it's been great. Is your background from more traditional finance or engineering before you got into Mycelium Tracer DAO? Yeah, I guess I was going down like the plans was to you know continue down the uh, IB route, but I guess my formal education is actually uh, chemical engineering and uh, finance. So uh, engineering per se, but maybe not the engineering that everyone's used to in crypto. Uh, you, like me, were both in, in business development. So what does business development look like at Sega and more broadly in the DeFi space? Yeah, I guess uh, more broadly in the DeFi space, I, I like to encapsulate BD as um, those that are looking for opportunities and growth. Um, so what that means at Sega is I'm basically looking to grow our, our structured investment protocol um, with, the, I guess, the direct output being TVL. Um, so... I'm speaking with hedge funds. I'm speaking with high net worth individuals. I'm speaking with uh, Web3 treasuries um, on, on a daily basis. Um, and I guess that's, that's, I guess, why I'm in touch with you today, more um, so on the treasury aspect. But um, I guess those opportunities on a, a B2C level, like going from, uh, from myself to these customers specifically, uh, but also finding opportunities and partnerships to expand um, you know, B2B, that being maybe creating new products use, using different underlines or different collateral pieces. Um, and uh, I guess, yeah, 
that's that's kind of it. So yeah, you're you're mentioning more along the lines of of B two B partnerships um, and how you approach securing them or building potentially new joint products. Um, so yeah, what does that look like? How do you actually approach identifying, securing, and building out an integration alliance or a product alliance? Yeah, uh, I guess at the moment, um, just I guess an example. Um, this will be coming up uh, in the, in the near future, but at the at the moment, we only offer USDC as collateral. Uh, but an example of a certain partnership or, or collaboration would be offering different collateral types to take positions in our sacred products. So new collateral types, that being um, allowing for maybe an LP position to take uh, positions on Sega. Maybe it's staked ETH um, with the whole LST game um, pushing pushing pretty strong at the moment. Um, and then collaborating with those communities on, I guess, it providing utility uh, or, or additional utility on top of their collateral. Yeah, community engagement is a really interesting aspect of business development in uh, like DeFi and crypto in general that um, like coming from more of a traditional like B2B tech background um, is just, uh, I guess, new wrinkle and a new thing that we have to tackle. Um, so what do you think makes good business development versus bad business development in crypto and DeFi, particularly for maybe some aspiring business developers that are listening in here? See, that's a, that's a big question, big question to tackle. Um, uh-huh. I could probably go on for hours about this, but I think, Good business development at the end of the day is understanding um, the ecosystem, understanding the mind map of, you know, who are the players in the space? Um, are they competitors? Are they going to be um, going to be complementing your project? Are they going to be competitors? Um, how can we work with anyone you're speaking to and finding the opportunities when you're speaking to someone? But it requires good empathy, good listening skills. Um, I think also a good analytical uh background to understand, okay, if, is this conversation going anywhere? Um, can we find something from what this person's saying? Um, and can there, can there be a way to integrate? Um, at the end of the day, BD is trying to service, um, I guess, your customers and to partners alike um, and finding the best ways to connect. No, I agree. And just dissecting that a bit, um, I think to your point, like being able to have that analytical background to ruthlessly prioritize and uh, frame what your core objectives are. So for you, it's it's TVL and growth metrics specific to Sega. Um, but yeah, being able to quickly qualify in and out, making sure that you're optimizing your time versus a lot of folks when they start off in BD, they try and talk to everyone. They get excited about every conversation, but it does require being able to understand, okay, is this going to help us achieve our goals and objectives? Is this going to benefit the customer um, or our end partners, particularly within the partnership conversation? Um, yeah. Which yeah. I actually, yeah, I love about it. Actually, you get to, you know, flex different muscles at different time. One day you're, uh, you know, doing some solution development, like an engineer, the next you're pulling a, an analysis of what pipeline looks like or something like that. And then just being able to talk to folks that are much smarter than I in this space is definitely a benefit too. And seeing uh, how the sausage is made and being on the bleeding edge. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I think, um, to add to that, just having a mindset that's always open to learning. Um, always having the, the the cup empty and always willing willing to uh, absorb the new knowledge. So you, you bring up a point that um, Sega, you're working with high net worth individuals, funds, and then also on chain treasuries. So you're you're exposed to DeFi treasuries, treasury managers. Um, so how are you currently viewing the the discipline and the concept of of treasury management in DeFi? 
Uh, what are some themes that you see, some challenges from your point of view? Each, each treasury kind of has its own, I, I guess the way I like to look at it, each treasury has its own, um, I guess, needs and wants. Um, and it, I, I guess addition to that is um, at different times, like understanding where they are in the market cycle, um, understanding where they're sitting um, in their growth cycle as well. Um, growths and challenges of, of treasuries, uh, I think in today's today's day and age, uh, I think treasuries at, at the moment aren't as, uh, I guess, optimized as they could be. Um, I guess that comes from potentially lack of, uh, you know, I guess, strict KPIs for, for the certain treasuries that are running treasury management. Um, when I say KPIs, I'm meaning like, you know, are, are, are we going to be, you know, is, is, how do I say this? Is the treasury looking to optimize the yield the most? Is the treasury looking to provide more to the community? Is it looking to, I guess, have better operational cash flow um, for operations within, um, you know, the, the, the projects? I think the number one focus that treasury should be accommodating for um, is operational cash flow. One thing to keep in mind is that these DAOs or treasuries um, aren't hedge funds. Uh, they're more like institutions where I guess they're not looking to just maximize yields, but they're looking to diversify. They're looking to stay alive while they're servicing, um, you know, whatever their uh, utility is for the, the ecosystem. Um, so, yeah, I think that's that's the biggest thing they should be focusing on. Then on top of that is the growth, like where, the, where are they looking to grow? How can they get the, uh, I guess, additional yields here and there uh, while they're servicing the operational? Because, you know, you've just raised 10 million, you're a startup. You're not going to probably use that 10 million in one year unless you're, okay, I mean, you probably won't be alive if, you use it, if you're using 10 million in one year. You shouldn't be using 10 million in one year. Uh, but that 10 million is going to be sitting in a vault per se. Um, and, you know, I think within within that year, you could be, I guess, generating a bit more returns for the treasury to extend your runway. Um, and, and you could be having some, some areas where you could be optimizing your treasury um, rather than letting it sit there and eat inflation and, um, I guess be be left left on left idle and and, and die. Um, I think also um, in terms of uh, I guess the the, the growth, it, it also depends on how big the treasuries are. So when I said mentioned that you know the ten million, you've just raised some funds, you raised ten million. Uh, you know the the ten million dollar small small startup versus the RBA treasury. You have very different KPIs, very different goal setting. Um, and I think, you know, for for that uh, for that startup, you've got you're more probably more more of a growth growth cycle growth stage uh, versus Aave Treasury. They're probably looking to just diversify and keep alive and keep keep existing. Um, so that's kind of the difference. I think there's there's different KPIs you can set depending on size. Um, but yeah, that's that's how I would uh, picture the growth side. Additionally, on top of that, you've also got you know servicing your your debt or, or liabilities. You've got assets that are deposited in your protocol um, that aren't yours particularly, but you still are responsible for them, uh, whether that's through auditing um, your smart contracts um, or insurance. Um, and that needs to be, I guess, within the responsibility of um, the protocol slash treasury. Now that you make a, a number of great points there, um, but just to play back some of them, um, I, I totally agree that you need to understand where you are in your company's phase of growth and just have clear objectives that make sense for where you are. Um, so if you're a new project, just starting off, 
Um, maybe you shouldn't be focused on um, low risk yield generation opportunities of stables. You should be focused on how can I steward the resources I have with bootstrapped funds and liquidity in order to turbocharge growth. So I can get to the point of an Ave treasury manager who's probably looking to generate yield from idle assets in as much of a risk minimized way as possible in order to exist into infinity or as long as, as they possibly can. Um, so there there isn't one size fits all and that's what we see I think you would agree selling into different DeFi treasuries. They're each unique in their own way. So even though there are certain things like diversification, um, generating yield, minimizing risk that are common themes across them, the actual approach that they take in order to execute on those objectives and those goals and strategies can, can differ considerably. Um, but we're both at the forefront trying to make sure that we're building products that can, uh, of course, help steward those treasury managers into their new phase. Um, exactly. Yeah. I definitely want to circle back on on one uh, point that you made, and I think this is a good transition into Sega. It's the role of of options and structured products in treasury and portfolio management. So let's start from kind of the 101 level. Um, what are structured products and, and how are they useful and what do they look like? Yeah, um, I guess uh, I might give just a quick overview of options of that being, you know, your, your simple call, your simple put. Are you buying a call? Are you buying a put? Are you selling a call? Or are you selling a put? Um, and you know the the use of options um, in in its most vanilla way is is to hedge. Um, and and it's I think I mean going back to the beginning I think it was used. What's what's the one on one they teach in universities like the 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 rice like locking in a, a contract for rice um, to to guarantee the the price that you're selling at um, in the future. Um, so options. Um, you know, I guess on a vanilla level, um, calls and puts, structured products. Um, the way I like to, I guess, encompass this, um, it's a funny one that we kind of came up with internally. Um, structured products use something called exotic options. So um, I'm, not, I'm not sure if, uh, I guess, no, I am sure. Uh, what we see in the space today uh, with some of the structured products that are around aren't actually, I guess, what traditional finance would classify as structured products. Rather, they're more, uh, you know, I guess, vanilla trading strategies that can be used as well within uh, within banks and TradFi. Structured products actually use a term called exotic options. Uh, now, what exotic options actually allows is to customize uh, and tailor uh, payoffs to to you know uh, better suit different market conditions. Um, the way I like to, I guess, you know, a metaphor I like to use is you've got a vanilla ice cream. Um, you might just get your, your calls and puts, uh, that, that's your vanilla ice cream, exotic options. You can get your flakes, you can get your sprinkles. Um, there's many different ways to, to kind of, uh, cover your ice cream for, for, I guess, better, better rewards versus, um, the risk that each of them take. Um, structured products at its cause. Yeah. They, they can be used in, I guess, in traditional finance and used by government agencies, pension funds, asset managers. Um, many different types of these institutions that actually uh, are using these. But in DeFi, we're still seeing, I guess, the, the early stage of them. Um, I guess that's kind of where we came in. We were the first to bring in these these real structured products into the space to better cater for the likes of treasuries. Um, but in the future, at the moment, it's, you know, treasuries, liquid funds, high net worth individuals. But in the future, um, some of these big institutions that do potentially come into DeFi in the future, we're, we're here to, to cater for them as well. Um, yeah. So let's, um, you mentioned exotic options and as someone that's not uh, deep into the options world, 
that sounds a little bit scary, uh, especially as treasury managers are looking to minimize risk generally as much as possible. Um, yeah. So if I'm an aspiring you know, treasury manager or I'm stewarding my um, resources internally and I don't really know what exotic options are, can you, can you explain it a little bit more, uh, especially in a way that makes them seem less scary? Yeah, sure. And I might even give some examples to Sega as well, just to kind of help there. But um, personally, I don't like the term exotic options um, in, it, for the exact reason you just mentioned. It is scary. Um, actually, quite recently, we actually changed our branding. We used to be called, you know, the exotic options protocol. Um, and we, we actually changed to structured investments for that exact reason. Uh, because, yeah, it, it does seem scary when, when, they're, when, they're, when they're classified as exotic options. But when you actually dive deeper into them, they can be very simply explained. Um, now, the way I can, I guess, give an example of that is uh, with Sega, uh, with our current product suite, we use something uh, that's called a, a fixed coupon note or akin to a fixed coupon note product. Now, what that means is, I guess, our depositors are selling, I mean, technically, they're selling a worst of put basket uh, with a knock-in barrier set at different ranges to give the return profile for our users. Now, all of that might sound a bit tricky, but I guess when you simply explain it, um, it's, hey, uh, as a treasury manager, you're betting that the price of Bitcoin or Ethereum, or the worst performing um, out of Bitcoin and Ethereum, won't drop by 30% within a month period, you will receive this amount, this amount of reward or this amount of yield. Um, so that knock-in barrier um, is effectively, we, we've kind of recategorized that as price drop protection to again, uh, simplify uh, these, simplify and uh, I guess better educate um, what these exotic options are actually that providing for our users. So thinking about Sega more specifically, um, like what problems did you identify in DeFi that necessitated building out something that's dedicated to furthering structured investments in DeFi? What we first saw in DeFi, uh, and this takes me back to when I was still at TracerDAO, um, I was seeing these really cool structured products, um, these vaults that effectively could generate returns for users using these really cool derivative um, underlying strategies. Uh, now, some of these strategies, as I mentioned uh, previously, uh, they were using these vanilla option strategies that I guess in the longer term, they don't really pay off or they don't, I guess, uh, reap yields in, um, I guess, all, all market, across all market conditions. Uh, and we, I guess, saw, an, uh, I, don't know, I don't know, I guess you could say an opportunity for us to come in with a bit of maturity for us to bring in the exotic options component. So with that exotic options component, as I mentioned before, allows us to cater for the crypto market, the crypto volatility, um, and extract the volatility from crypto and produce, I guess, more consistent yields. Uh, and returns for our users across different market conditions. Um, so for instance, um, some of our products last year across the, I the FTX period, um, we had these products set in place that uh, sustained yields throughout that period um, and weren't losing yields uh, just due to the fact that of those, you know, the big, big market crashes. Um, yeah, versus some of the other products that are out there, I think the exotic option component allows for us to do that, allows for us to be more flexible um, and allows for us to give, uh, I guess, a better, a better, safer product for, for the users that are using it. No, I, I think that's a great explanation. Um, and earlier you mentioned, um, or we were discussing just the difference in, in different DeFi treasuries and some problems that are endemic to the space. And 
in a recent article that you published, um, you mentioned that I think it's like 86% of projects are just way overexposed in their native governance token, which means they're going to swing and follow the volatility of where the market is going. Um, so going back to Sega, um, let's say that a project approaches you and you know they're overweight in their native governance token. They're looking to generate some yield. Um, how does it work in practice where they work with you? Is it as easy as just, hey, we're, we're going to deposit some stuff in vaults and exotic options work their magic? Or is there a more secret sauce that's going on behind the scenes? How does it work? Yeah, there's, there's a couple of aspects to that. Um, I guess, firstly, at the moment, uh, with Sega's product suite, as, as I kind of alluded to before, uh, we only offer USDC collateral at the moment. Um, but, you know, that means for these treasuries, um, it's, for, it's for the treasuries that have stable stable coins or i guess fiat um fiat backed stable coins um that sit in their in their treasuries that are looking to utilize um at the moment uh we don't cater specifically for governance tokens but uh there may be something in the very near future which allows us to actually cater for that um so stay tuned for the future there but i guess um it's yeah at the moment for those treasuries it's more the ones that hold usdc in the treasury um, that are sitting there idly, that are you know eating inflation at the moment with big inflation rates, um, and you know are looking to generate yields to hedge against inflation or increase increase uh, some yields for I guess extended runway or diversification. So uh, you mentioned just generating yield on idle USDC in treasuries, um, but a common question in DeFi is where is the yield coming from? How do these vaults work behind the scenes? Um, so can you give us a little bit more insight into how the sausage is made? I've deposited my USDC in the Sega vault. What, what's happening? Yeah, a great question. I think it's it's really good to, I guess, explain this because I guess as, as you've seen in the past, um, the likes of Anchor Protocol last year pro providing, what, what was it, 20% on USDC, uh, sorry, on US, UST. Um, yeah, it, it actually pays to know what's actually happening underneath. Um, and to that, um, yeah, so... Effectively, you could see Sega, um, the way I like explaining it, as a glorified OTC. We're a platform that sits in the middle between depositors and market makers. Um, so on one side, you have the depositors that are at the moment with our current structure products being fixed coupon notes. Um, they are selling worst of put baskets to the market makers. Um, in return, these market makers are purchasing these, these, uh, these puts. Um, so effectively, they're using it to either hedge their own balance sheet um, or they're using it to to make additional gains um, through through market making services. So um, on a weekly basis, we we create these new vaults um, that are quoted on, that are bidded on. Um, the highest bidder gets access to that vault, uh, and that highest bid is then the quoted APY that our users are receiving. How how do you assess the counterparty risk with some of the market makers? Are you using like a, a different tool to do so? Um, is it just kind of legalese going on behind the scenes? Yeah, um, I guess something, you know, something that a lot of DeFi, a couple of DeFi protocols use is Credora to assess balance sheet checks, um, which is always, always a good thing um, to understand who the counterparties are, if they're secure enough. Um, again, it pays to really uh, have this aspect secure post FTX. Um, there's a lot of, uh, I guess, Protocols were, were a victim of, of not, not ensuring that this risk was, was mitigated properly. Uh, but I guess another thing that we do at Sega, which is, I guess, a bit of a niche um, and something that I don't think many other protocols do, do at the moment or haven't heard of yet, um, is we do ISDA agreements. So 
Is it is the agreement is a traditional agreement uh, between counterparties um, where effectively uh, I guess the strength of an is the agreement uh, that we had in place uh, in, end of last year we actually had Alameda as one of our market makers and if it wasn't for the is the agreement that we had in place with them uh, we wouldn't have recovered the funds in full um, and we did and we recovered those funds in full uh, we were saved throughout the FTX period um, and we weren't affected. Um, due to that is the agreement being in place. So the is the agreement is a security measure that we, I guess, from, from some of the team's background in, in a traditional finance space had um, and ensured that we had those, uh, I guess, security measures from day one. I mean, very fortunate on your end. Uh, that's no, a great story that you're able to recover it. Um, so uh, one thing I did want to go into, and you probably have an opinion on this, is um, so if I'm looking to generate yield on USDC, um, there, there's a couple of options in DeFi now. So like there, there's tokenized treasuries and T-bills, um, but then I can also deposit into um, an options vault that or a structured investment vault that SEG is doing. So how should treasury managers think about like T-bills versus using exotic option strategies? Is, is there a time and a place to use both? Is one better than the other? Yeah, great question. And I guess, yeah, a big kudos to all the, uh, the, the US T-bills uh, two-wheel products that came into the space this year. I, I, I really, um, you know, I'm really, really fortunate and really, really, um, I guess, backing that industry. Um, and it's providing more DeFi liquidity and TVO on chain. So, um, yeah, big props to the likes of Ondo and, and some of the other players out there. Um, to your question specifically, it's not a direct comparison. I wouldn't say that like, hey, if you're using T-bills, you should be using Sega structured products. I definitely think T-bills are a more conservative product than what we offer. Um, but, you know, I, I guess in, in traditional finance or in, in traditional treasury, um, T-bills are kind of king. Like you, you want to have those T-bills in place to ensure that, you know, you're, you're, not, you're not fighting inflation or you're not, um, you, you're keeping the bottom line running. Uh, when it comes to being on chain, even better, you're keeping the TVL on chain rather than being put into fiat. When it comes to Sega versus T-bills, I would say that, yeah, most of, for a treasury looking to diversify um, their risk, the T-bill space is a big one. I think another another player in there is the likes of liquid staking or staking your ETH. If you're, you know, if you're in DeFi and you're, you're bullish on the, the industry, um, you should be probably uh, having some portion of your treasury in Ethereum um, or in staked ETH. Um, and to that, I'd say, yeah, staked ETH is, a, is another great generation great uh, yield generation product that you can use to uh, diversify your treasury. When it comes to Sega, our structured products, again, are a very simple simple way to gen generate yield. Um, but also, I would say it would classify as a bit of a, a higher risk bucket um, than your T-bills. But for treasury managers that are looking to diversify, um, you know, based on, um, you know, as I said in the past, the KPIs that they're setting, um, where their risk buckets are lying, um, I'd say, you know, a, a 10 to 20% portion of their treasuries could be put towards something like Sega. No, thanks. Thanks for explaining that to me. Um, I, I think it is interesting to just figure out, like you mentioned, objectives and, and what your risk profile is. Um, T-bills, of course, extremely low risk, but something like Sega, it, it makes sense to diversify into if you are seeking um, more yield and some more advanced strategies. Um, I think for, to... I think to add, to add to that in terms of market conditions as well, it's like right now T-bills are probably the best product to inject into with, you know, interest rates at some of the highest we've seen um, over the past couple of years. But 
you know, as those interest rates start to lower again, um, that's when fixed coupon notes or some of the products that we actually run uh, become more attractive. Um, as again, as I said, these products are built for across, you know, all market conditions rather than just um, the ones that we're seeing right now. Um, so our products right now, you know, they're, they're still utilized um, to diversify. But in the future, these products will still be around. They'll still be at, um, you know, current rates or even in more increased rates than um, what we're seeing with Sega's products at the moment um, versus, you know, when the Fed starts cutting their rates, T-bills won't be as, as attractive. You see, you start to see the shift of a lot of these uh, users or treasury managers move into more growth opportunities rather than just T-bills. Um, and that's what we're saying is, I guess, there for. You're just building for the future. Um, and yeah. thanks for the clarification there. Um, but actually, the future of Sega, what does it look like? Is it uh, new types of structured investments and in products? Is it um, like more use cases? What, what can folks get excited about for your future? Yeah, I guess uh, without giving too much away, uh, we are looking to build new structures. Uh, I guess when I say new structures, uh, I did mention the fixed coupon note um, product that we do have currently. And that's the same. That's the only product we have uh, in Sega's different vaults that we have today. We will be launching uh, some new strategies in the future. Um, I can't say uh, any of them yet, uh, but they should be penned in. One should be launching in November. I guess one big thing that we are looking forward to is, um, you know, our V2. We're looking to, to launch, uh, I guess, a, a, a new version uh, of our contracts, an upgraded version to allow, I guess the biggest thing is to allow for different collateral types uh, in Sega's products. So allowing for Ethereum, uh, allowing for other types of collateral, governance tokens, LP positions, uh, which will open up a lot of opportunities for Sega to work with different teams, partner with different projects, and build new products for, for those looking to get involved with structured products. That's awesome. So the way I'm hearing it is more flexibility in collateral types, uh, yeah. more types of structured investments and products, depending on different risk profiles and yield seeking or yield generation seeking. Uh, do I have that correct? That's correct. That's great. Awesome. Well, I'm really excited to check it out. And uh, to your point, I think um, like a, a product such as Sega, like it's extremely valuable at this moment in time, but um, also the way that you're approaching building out weatherproof strategies for yield generation means that you'd be able to um, survive and thrive uh, in a continued way through all markets. Um, yeah. Um, and so with that, uh, Adam, I don't know if there's anything else you want to talk about specific to Sega. Did we miss anything uh, about how it works, the secret sauce or how treasury managers should think about utilizing it? Yeah, for Sega, uh, I think I think we covered most of it there. Um, I think uh, for treasury managers, yeah, it's it's definitely a tool that you can add to your uh, to your suite of, of different tools that you use in, in treasury management. Um, and yeah, we hope to, to cater for more treasuries in the, in the future. Um, again, I think one, one thing else I want to add is that I know I mentioned it before. It's like, but like, yeah, there are a lot of treasuries right now that are or that have been pulling away from crypto, putting their treasuries, I guess, more into fiat vehicles. Um, which it's like, okay, look, I understand the risk profile there, but at the end of the day, um, we're here for DeFi. Um, and the more TVL we can get into DeFi, the more tools like Sega and other competitors and other types of products that we can provide for these treasury managers, um, the better we all are for, for the DeFi industry. We're fighting the good fight with you, brother. Um, and so uh, along those lines, do you, do you think that there's something like a, a critical building block that's missing um, within the context of like these treasury management tools? 
Do you think we've pretty much built out the primitives or is something lurking around the corner that we should keep our eyes on? Uh, I guess it depends on on the product that treasury managers are using in terms of the, the different avenues that they're deploying capital into. Um, I think, you know, that you've got a couple of products out there at the moment. You've got the likes of Zappa, some other in-house products that people are using to, I guess, manage and oversee alongside some, some maybe Excel spreadsheets. But on top of that, um, you know, I think for options in particular, something that we've been hearing a lot about is the ability to understand or um, I'm not going to dive into this, but the ability to understand your Greeks and understand where the Greeks are sitting. So when I say Greeks, I mean option Greeks, uh, meaning, you know, how to how to manage risk effectively. Um, and there isn't like a product out there yet that can allow for, I mean, there are a couple of products that are kind of doing it, but there's not like a big one that's like, hey, you should be using this to manage your, your Greeks or understand your Greeks when, you know, deploying positions into, into options. Um, maybe a bit too much for, for all treasury managers, but for the, for those that are coming from traditional finance and understand options well, it definitely does help uh, manage the risk there. Yeah, um, I don't know if we'll have the time to necessarily dive into all of the Greeks here. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. I think um, like as options FI is starting to take off and there are these different products, like whether they're structured products or otherwise built on top of options, it's a, a pretty interesting space to watch. Um, and I think treasury managers, uh, I think you alluded to this, like many of them are focused on just simple accounting metrics and just making sure that, you know, they have token inflation under control, making sure that they have enough operating runway. But for the more sophisticated and advanced ones, I think they can start looking into uh, more interesting on-chain yield generations and risk protection strategies. Um, well, Adam, we, we really appreciate the time here today. We, we covered a lot of ground uh, between uh, business development and DeFi, what it looks like, what's good, what's bad, what are tips and tricks. We talked about treasury management, the discipline, how to sell into treasury management teams, how to evaluate them, how treasury, <coughs> excuse me, treasury managers should think about um, risk mitigation as well as yield generation among diversification and then we went into sega and the structured investment products that y'all are building out which i'm really excited to see continue to gain more widespread adoption um, for individuals that are looking to generate yield from idle usdc and potentially other assets in the future um, so yeah with that uh adam is there anything that any wisdom that you would impart on an aspiring business developer in this space how how should they get started if they want to become the next Adam or if they want to work at a place like Sega? Gee, uh, I guess if it, it depends on the stage, but I mean, if you're just entering the space, um, really try to get to understand what different pieces of, uh, I guess, the, the puzzle uh, are building. So understanding which sectors in DeFi are doing what, um, how they all intermingle, um, how they all interact. Um, I guess do what you like as well. Like don't don't just like, uh, I mean, for me, I, I don't, I'm not really invested in the NFT space much. Um, that's why I like the, the DeFi component. But hey, if you're someone that likes to speak, you like to connect, um, like to look for new opportunities or a bit of a hustler and you like NFTs uh, and that's your thing, then then go for it. Like there are some NFT projects out there that are doing really well. Um, there's some that are even integrated with DeFi, which, are, which, are, which is very interesting. Um, so yeah, do, do, you, do, you, do your research, have a look into the space. Um, understand how things work uh, because I guess the more that you understand how everything works in the space, um, the better you'll be able to talk on a, on a call, let's say, and understand what someone's saying and then cater to what they're saying, potentially build some new products from the feedback they're giving.
Yeah. Last question for you, Adam. Um, where can folks find you and where can folks find Sega if they're interested? Yeah, um, folks can find me on Twitter, uh, just at Adam underscore Bowie. Um, and Sega, for, for Sega, uh, it's just Sega Fi. Um, so at Sega underscore Fi, I believe. I yeah, Sega with wrong. a C, not like the video game company. Exactly. Um, that's <laughs> a common, a common uh, misconception. But uh, yeah, say, Sega on, on Twitter. Um, and or our website, Segafi, um, Sega underscore Fi. Awesome. You heard it here, y'all. Um, but yeah, thanks so much, Adam, for dropping by this episode of Dowversified. We, we covered a lot of grounds, as I mentioned earlier, but really appreciate your insights. And we look forward to bringing you back on potentially in the future in a couple months to talk about all the cool stuff that Sega has been building and traction and new insights that uh, folks might want to unpack here. Um, and yeah, thanks to the listeners for tuning into this episode of Diversified. Uh, we'll be sharing show notes here, a summary and uh, information on how you can get in touch with Adam and Sega. Um, so tune in next week and we'll have, uh, of course, more exciting guests back on the pod. Thanks so much, Adam. Appreciate it, Joey. Thank you.